this morning I'd just like to spend a little bit more time with this third foundation of mindfulness in Pali referred to as chitta, which you know, clearly refers to both states of mind, emotional states, moods. Given such significance, much of the practice we've done within the body, within the body breathing, of course, is really training and cultivating the skills to to actually practice with this more, uh, often more inaccessible, feel to be more elusive aspect of our experience, of our mood or mental state. And I would ask you to, to pause just for a moment right now and, and turn your attention inwardly, just do an inner check-in. But just get in a sense of what is your mood in this moment? What is the state of your mind, the climate of your mind in this moment? It is really helpful to to have that awareness because our moods, as we know, our mental states, so much pattern our experience. They pattern our behavior. They pattern our thoughts and indeed they are the lens through which we perceive the world. We know in, in, in moods of, of irritation or, or anxiety how we see the world as this intruder, this you know, the imposing itself, threatening, and moods of you know calm, happiness. You know, we appreciate all these amazing people here. In the moods of vexation, we wonder how we ended up again surrounded by a community of, you know, fools. And uh, you know, the, the, this, this, our moods are patterning all the time. Our our experience. It's a very simple formula, I think, within Buddhist psychology that what we contact, we feel. What we feel, we think about. What we think about, we proliferate about. What we proliferate about becomes the shape of our mind. The shape of our mind becomes often the shape of our self and indeed the shape of our world. This is a process that is going on so many times in a single day, like weather patterns. Many moods are very lovely, delightful, helpful. There are many moods that are very troublesome. As I mentioned last night, we also do get a sense that mental states that are quite lovely, of calm, spacious, easeful, tends to be far less proliferation born of those moods. The mental states that are more difficult, sadness, dullness, contractedness, aversion, these are the big generators, aren't they? They're the big generators of narrative, the big generators of, of story. And of course what we see is that moods always produce narratives that are really shaded by the mood that's there. You know, if you're in a mind of agitation, you don't generally tend to have a lot of thoughts of how wonderful all things are. You know, if we're in a mood of aversion, we we don't generally tend to have a lot of thoughts of appreciation and, you know, gratitude and warmth. Well, our thoughts are flavored by the mood. You know, we will just chunter along with that mood. 
So it's really kind of helpful to, to be, have that sensitivity because your mood of the moment will determine how you approach this sitting. It, it will determine whether or not you get to your walking path. So it's really helpful, I think, in, in, in being mindful of the, this dimension of our experience. First of all, you know, the instructions in the Satipatthana remain the same through the foundations to know a mental state as a mental state. Not, I'm, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm anxious. To know a mental state as a mental state, always positing that capacity for non-identification right in the beginning. Develop into a kind of emotional literacy in that knowing. This is important to know this is sadness, this is grief, this is anxiety, this is calm. This is spaciousness. You know, not only to be inclining towards the difficult as we're kind of hardwired to do, noticing the lovely. There's this quality of discernment in moods, which is quite different than judgment. You know, what is helpful and what is unhelpful? You know, what leads to further complexity and struggle and, and anguish? And actually, what leads to, to a greater calmness, stillness? This discernment is helpful because it really then does, in a way, influence how we engage with the mood of the moment, what we cultivate what we seek to, to relinquish. Picking up the clues of moods. You know, the clues are there. Sometimes they're in our body. As Sharon talked about yesterday, we know the body of anger. We know the body of dullness. You know, We know the body of anxiety. We know the body of calm. To start to pick up those clues, the way that the mind state is sending messages to the body and how often without mindfulness the body is sending messages back to the mind state and just you know, increasing that contractedness. Sometimes the clues are in, of course, the thought patterns. You know, if you find, you know, that you've had a kind of stream of thinking where, you know, you've managed to go through your checklist of everything that's wrong with IMS so far this morning, you know, it's probably a clue. <laughs> there's a mood there. There's a mind state there. You know, if you've gone through a long list of, you know, kind of a joined up list of thinking about all the things we need to worry about, the things that are undone in our lives, unfinished, it's probably a clue. There's a mind state there. Very often helpful to come to the body to actually know that. Much of this practice is that, you know, it's not about trying to, because there's always going to be states of mind, it's not about trying to erase states of mind, but you actually see how much of the practice is really dedicated towards cultivating the helpful and the skillful states of mind, calmness, of ease, of of one-pointedness, of mindfulness, of spaciousness, cultivating those states of mind. Now, mind states are very prolific. Difficult mind states are very prolific, as I mentioned. They tend to produce thoughts aligned with them. Those thoughts feed back to reinforce the mind state. The mind state deepens, produces more thoughts aligned with that mind state, goes back again. You know, and you can really sense that, that downward spiral in that interaction between mood and thought ever and ever increasing kind of solidity. Now in that close feedback loop of course something else gets 
put into that mix, which makes it even more difficult, which is the identification and the I notion. You know, I, I am angry, I am sad, I am useless, you know, I am anxious. So even adding that piece in is, is, is further kind of binding this closed feedback loop. The proliferation, I mean, I, I know we've thrown out a few poly words over this retreat, and many of them, you, they just come and they go, you know, you never think of them again. If there's one I would ever encourage people to remember, <laughs> it's papancha. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Papancha. Papancha is really this proliferation of thinking generated by underlying views and attitudes and mental states that clouds and distorts our capacity to see things the way they actually are. Papancha is much easier. But if you, if you have a sense, if you have a sense of that meaning, and the very felt sense of that meaning, that generation of thoughts born of underlying attitudes and beliefs and mind states that clouds and distorts our capacity to see things the way they actually are. It's papancha. The mind storms we experience. The thought storms we experience. It's just papancha. This is part of that closed feedback loop. And, of course, there's a few threads of papancha. You know, and I think it's really helpful to notice those threads. There's certainly craving-based papancha. All the things that we don't have and need and need to get and fix and, you know, all the things I'm not and need to become and, you know, all of that narrative. There's aversion-based papancha. You know, the stories we have about other people's imperfections and the life's imperfections, all the things that are wrong with me, all the things I really can't bear, I really hate, you know. We think often a lot more about the things that we dislike than the things that we love. There's fear-based papancha, anxiety-based papancha. That are ruminate the things we're worrying about, you know, the the rehearsals, the anticipations, the the planning, um, that forward leaning. Um, there's view-based papancha, you know, my views of the world, my political views, my social views, my 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 views of you know this life, you know, people are greedy, and the world is filled with mindless people. You know, people are like this, the world is like this, you know. That kind of view-based propension. And, of course, the last one, and often one of the biggest ones, is, is uh, the self-narrative propension. Oh, the narrative about, you know, who I am, who I need to be, who I was. You know, that, that kind of building of that narrative through thought. As I mentioned in the talk last night, you know, the story is telling us. The story is telling us who we are. And we really get a sense of that, don't you? How the story is shaping our sense of who we are. So some we see when we emphasize, you know, calming the formations, coming back to the body, coming back to the breathing. It's learning to step out of these the, the, the huge narratives that can cause so much distress and torment. It, it's, it's a phenomena, you know, that we think we're going to think our way to the end of dukkha. 
I don't think many people are very successful at this. That doesn't mean we give up trying. Actually, we, we cultivate the spaciousness in which dukkha can be understood. Hmm? So learning those moments when we just get hooked by those narratives and, and how we can actually step out. This is a, a wonderful taste of freedom, I might mention. It's a wonderful taste of freedom to feel that we're not a prisoner of our constructions and our narratives and our stories. To actually learn that we can step out, we can breathe out, we can see wholeheartedly, we can listen wholeheartedly. Not pushing the narratives away, not condemning or judging the stories, but actually releasing their hold simply through that intention and that act to return to what is actually present. What is actually here, including the narrative, without being lost in it. Without being lost in it. So again, as we take our seat and establishing ourselves in the body, in this present moment recollection, Cultivating a calm abiding in the midst of all things. The thoughts, the body sensations, the emotions, the images. Cultivating a calm abiding. A gentle curiosity of simply knowing in this moment knowing the life of the body, knowing the life of the heart-mind, And resting that intention, mindfulness within the body, within the body breathing. Very receptive to all of the moments of departure, to something more predominant. Bringing that same calm abiding to those moments and the simple knowing of where the attention is.
And as you hear the sound of the bell, again, just taking a moment for a check-in to really have a sense of whatever mind state, mood is prevailing. This is a very useful, well, clearly very important, critical dimension of the practice and the unfoldment of mindfulness. And this is something to check in really frequently with, I would encourage during a day. You know, the, the mind state of the moment, the mood of just now, may very well determine whether you get to your walking path, whether you're able to stay there, or whether you find yourself in your room rearranging your socks. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's also, you know, seeing how the mood, the mind state is like a weather system that can really change a number of times in a single walking period, a single sitting period. In the walking, you see how a single sound or a thought can determine a shift in a mood. Or in a mind state, you also see how a thought or an image can actually, again, be the triggering factor for a shift in a a move from one mind state to another. And there's something that I find really um, in my own practice, the the walking meditation, when you have a path, I, I have this sort of life metaphor for it, that it's kind of like walking through the mind states. You know, oh, there's sadness. I just walk through the mind state. There's anxiety. Yes, I know this. Walk through the mind state. Oh, there's agitation. Ah, walk through the mind state. And there's something about the path being the kind of embodiment or the manifestation of that intention that allows the weather systems to come and go without being pulled this way and that way. So I really encourage you today in the walking meditation as well as in the sitting to really see how the state of mind, the mood, is really kind of shaping your world of the moment, shaping perception, shaping behavior, shaping action, shaping effort, shaping self-view. A big one. How it shapes self-view. Okay, so today, again, uh, we have groups. So if you were not in a group yesterday, you will be in a group today. So if you haven't checked the board, please do so. Thank you.